this morning we begin a, a new uh, five-part sermon series called Faith in Motion. I'm so glad that you're here uh, as we begin this uh, new journey together. Those of you online listening, so grateful that you're here as well. Faith in Motion. We'll be walking through uh, one of the first books written in the New Testament, the book of, of James. The book of James. Now, James, the man James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's a half-brother of Jesus. Now, this is not the disciple. Sometimes we hear Peter, James, and John. It's not that James. It's a different uh, James. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about James. Uh, Jesus appeared to James after, after his uh, resurrection. Then in Acts uh, chapter 1, 13, James is there with the apostles and others in the upper room uh, just before the, the coming of the Holy Spirit there at Pentecost. Then uh, James is, was probably present. We read in, in Acts a bit later that the, when um, 3,000, Peter gives this sermon, 3,000 people come to faith, and James is probably right there in the middle of it. Then he's in Jerusalem, and there's a little dispute going on, and James is kind of presiding or overseeing that, that dispute and giving some leadership to that, and then becomes one of the lead pastors or the lead pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. And in his opening words in this letter, he's, he, he says, he doesn't identify himself as the, as the half-brother of Jesus or the, the pastor of, of First Jerusalem. I mean, that was probably what I would be. Hey, hi, my name is John Muller. Yes, I am the half-brother of Jesus. And yes, the, the pastor of the first church in the world, that's probably my pride would, would come out. But James, he comes in, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what a humble, humble heart. He sees himself not, as, not, not on a pedestal, but he sees himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So James, he's a, past, he's a, he's a pastor with a shepherd's heart. Many of the Christian Jews there in that time, persecution is, is hitting the church, and they are they have actually, they're in Jerusalem, they've scattered. They're all throughout the, the, the known world. Many of these new believers, these, these new Christians had lost their homes, they lost their jobs, friendships, and even family, and they, they're being scattered from persecution, and they find persecution oftentimes where they end up. They're going through some very, very difficult times and trials. James is writing to these scattered Christians, these Christian Jews, what's, de what's uh, described as the 12 tribes, and he's encouraged them in their faith as they're being pressed in on, on every side. It's interesting, many commentators see the book of James as one of the most practical books in, in all of the Bible. It's a great read, and you can just soak it in, and there's so many things that will challenge us in our faith. It's especially helpful when, when life happens, when the difficulties come, when, when things get a little bit messy in our lives, when circumstances get hard, right? We all have those things. It's very simple, a practical, um, practical book. And James describes really what genuine faith looks like, what a, what a faith in motion or how a faith in motion propels us in life and into eternity. That's what he's, that's what he's doing. And that's what we're going to walk through over these next couple of weeks. So a man named Tim 
Henshaw. He's a Christian husband, father of two children, a physician. He practiced uh, rheumatology in Roanoke, Virginia. When he was a boy, his father struggled with this debilitating disease that produced weakness and numbness and extreme pain in, in all of his extremities. Tim recalls praying for his dad's healing for years and even decades, but it would, it would never come, never came. Little did he know that, that he carried that same gene that his dad had. Years later, when practicing as a physician, he began to experience uh, discomfort in his, in his feet, the pain, the numbness increased to the point that he couldn't even complete a, a full day's work. And at age 40, he was diagnosed with Charcot-Marie Tooth Syndrome. Like, what in the world? Rare disease. And he writes about his experience. Let me read what he says. He says, the pain progressed to the point that I had to drag myself to the bathroom. I, I could not tolerate the searing discomfort and that came with, with standing. I was unable to drive and only let the, left the house on Sundays when with great difficulty I used a wheelchair to get out to the church. For a year there was little sleep, little activity, just the constant pain that dominated my life 24 hours a day. And one day my daughter in seventh grade came in and she said, my feet hurt. They were the only words that I heard. Within a few months, she required a wheelchair to go to school. And he says, I had already lived a good bit of my life. I had a faith that had carried me through, but, but why Anna? There was nothing I could do. I knew the life that she had ahead, never being the same as everyone else, never able to participate with the group. So many difficulties, so much pain. Friends, why do, why do challenges like this come to people? What purpose do they serve? If, if God is in control of all things, why does he allow suffering, trials, and struggles in our lives? How does our faith intersect with trials? Well, that's what the book of James is going to help us with. And we're going to address some of these specific things this morning in a sermon titled, Attested Faith, Attested Faith. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, invite you to turn to the, to the book of James, chapter 1. If you're using one of the black pew Bibles in the front there in the rack, you can find our passage on page 1011, the book of James. As we walk through this passage, we're going to see what really a faith in motion looks like and be encouraged really to take hold of that kind of faith in our own lives. First, I want us to see that a faith in motion rejoices in testing. A faith in motion, it rejoices in testing. Look at verses 2 through 4. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing so james he begins this letter right off the bat and he says count it all joy those four words these words are i mean really they're powerful and they're profound we're to consider we're to believe to embrace that all aspects, every aspect of our lives, good and bad, 
Everything in Christ are for joy. Joy, pure, complete, God-glorifying joy. And in verse 3, he tells us to count it joy when we meet trials, when we meet trials of various kinds. Notice he says, when, not if. When, not if. I've said this before, that there are really three kinds of people in this world. There are those who are in a trial, those who've come out of a trial, and those who will soon be in a trial. Like, welcome to life, right? Welcome to life. We all go through trials. These trials, James says, that are of every shape and size and even intensity. Every one of us in this room lives in and around trials. Those of you listening online, trials are all around us. And like the early Christians reading this letter that are being pressed in and shaken and stretched, and some are being bruised and even hurt, that describes our lives today as well. Maybe your faith is being tested in relationships, your family, your marriage, school, your emotions, your health, your finances, your job, your circumstances. What does James call us to do in these most? Count it all joy or rejoice in our testing. Now, what in the world? How do we do this? How do we rejoice in the midst of great suffering or trouble, trials? He tells us in verse 3. He, he's, he goes on, he says that this testing, you can find joy, you can rejoice in it because this testing is producing steadfastness. It's accomplishing something. It's, it's bringing up steadfastness in your life. And we can be sure that God is using the trials that we face to build up a, an inward fortitude, a, an endurance, a, a strength. It's like uh, when, we, when, we, um, when we work out with weights or we're exercising, when people... People use weights. Uh, my daughter, I know some of you guys are at go to the go to the gym. Some others of you, and you you work out, go to the spin class, whatever you do to work out. Actually, when you're lifting those weights, what's happening? There's these these microscopic tears are actually taking place in your in your muscles as through that repeated contraction. And as those tears heal, they grow stronger, bigger than before. And it's very similar, to kind of what trials do to us. They build steadfastness, inward strength in our life. James goes on to say that this steadfastness, it it doesn't just stay there. It's moving forward. This faith is, it's moving us forward. It's going into steadfastness and it's, it's working in our hearts and lives. It's perfecting us and completing us, James says. God allows the storm winds to blow into our lives to produce endurance so that we become more whole, entirely complete, perfect, more like like Jesus who knew a bit about suffering. So we rejoice in, in the test, in the trials, in the difficulties, knowing that it leads, it leads us to be more like Jesus, to look like him. Romans 5, verse 3 through the first part of 5 says, not only this, but we 
rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. It's going somewhere. It's moving. This faith is moving. Trials mixed with faith is going somewhere. It's making us like the Savior, and we will not be put to shame. So we rejoice in our trials because we know that God is He is at work in us. Sometimes you have to tell yourself that in the trial. When it's it's pressing on and it it has you just on your knees, you have to sometimes just say, God, I know you're at work here. I have to just trust you. I can't, sometimes we don't even see it. You can't see it. Sometimes you're working out, you don't, you you can't see it. I'll work out, I'll come home, you know, you look in the mirror and it's like, well, you know, it's like, it sometimes takes a little while, right? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It takes a bit. But God is at work. And if we know that this is true, if we know that he's at work, then why is it sometimes so difficult to share our burdens with one another? Think about this. Why is it difficult for us to share our burdens with one another and to walk with one another in the trials? I think there's a couple things that make this, I think, difficult. We too oftentimes bear our difficulties, our trials, our sufferings alone, alone. Well, one, I think the enemy, I think the enemy just loves, loves it. He knows that there's, there's power in, in deep spiritual community when we care for one another and bear one another's burden. He, he knows that and he hates that. And he tries to keep us away from that. He loves it when we live our lives as as silos, independent of one another. He doesn't want us to to link arms together because he he doesn't want us to see us complete in Christ. He doesn't want our faith in motion to, to make us to look like more like Jesus. He wants to keep us away from that, so he keeps us independent in our little silos. He wants us to be consumed and Weakened by our trials, not made complete. I think second, our culture teaches us to be independent and individualistic. It's all about me, myself, and I, right? You just be you. Just be the best you. You deserve it. It's all about, it's every, commercials are all about me. You need this. This will make you happy. It's all about us. The world pushes us toward independence and individualism. We share more personally on Facebook and Snapchat than sometimes we do with one another. We're satisfied with simply saying, hey, how are you, how are you doing? I'm good, good. And we go our own way individualistic. I think there another issue is that it's, you know, getting each other's life, it's, it's difficult and it's sometimes messy, right? When you ask someone, how are you doing? He or she replies, well, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Or my, my marriage is really fragile and I don't know what to do. What do you do? You're like, oh, wait a minute. Ooh, you weren't supposed to say that, <laughs> right? And I always say, oh, now, ooh, now what? Well, what do you do? Friends, what we do is love. It's one word. We love. Love. 
We love by tangibly showing that we care. We, we stop and we listen. We love by verbally sharing that you empathize with them. Oh, oh that must be difficult. Don't start talking about yourself. That's another thing we do. Yeah, I'm just struggling right now with this. Yeah, I remember a time in my life when I was struggling with that. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, and the person is like, are you, you know what I'm saying? We, we tend to go there. Just stop and say, listen, look them in the eye, feel what they're feeling. Try to get into their shoes and relate. Oh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Pray with them. Share scripture with them, listen to them, spur them on, encourage them, hold them up in their weakness, walk with them, not for that moment, but maybe, maybe for weeks, maybe months, maybe even years, maybe even mobilize others to do the same. I think it's also diff- another difficult thing it is, it's hard to be vulnerable. I find that it's hard to be vulnerable and transparent with with other people. I think sometimes we're afraid that maybe the people will look down at us or that they'll judge us. But friends, if we're going to be a community of faith, if we're going to be a church that connects people to Christ community and cause, we we have to we have to be a real church that 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 people say, you know, we we do have real problems. We're not just some extra special people because we know, we know Jesus. Now, we, we, we've been connected to him, and we find hope and strength in him, but we still face struggles and, and trials, and we have to link arms. We have to do this. We have to be a community of faith willing to take the risk and be willing to get into each other's lives, even when it's, when it's messy. So I, if you're in that place, if you're in one of those trials, f- friend, Share, open up with somebody. And if, if you're maybe out of one of those trials or maybe you're, you're that, in that category soon to go into another one, I mean, listen to them and, and, and empathize and take hold of them. God, when we do that, I mean, we would be unstoppable. We call it here at, at our church, I mean, three steps. Step one is just get connected. Get connected. We want people to be connected. You'll, you'll hear us talk about that all the time. It's, it's our mission. We want to connect people to Christ's community cause. And we want people to, to get connected in community, deep, real, authentic, relational kind of stuff. That's what we do in our life groups. That's why you, even when you gather here, it's easy because we're all sitting apart. It's easy just to kind of walk out the door and we're done. But I mean, grab hold of somebody out there. Share, open up, get to know somebody you haven't met. Get connected. Join a life group. That's our, our small group ministries. That's where you can really begin to share in, a, in that small setting and open up and you know people are going to care and listen and pray for you. Step two is to to discover purpose. Discover your purpose. How do you fit in? You've been uniquely made and gifted. You've got spiritual gifts. You have experiences in your life. You may have gone through some difficulties and trials that somebody's right in the middle of. We need to get you guys together so that you can say, hey, just to be encouraged in that. That's what our divorce care is led by some folks that have, have walked that journey before. 
And so you get to hear from them and, hey, this is, we, they know, they've been there, they understand, they can relate and they're, they want to help you in that. And lastly, to, it's just to join a team, be a part of, being a part of a community together where we share our lives together. Not only that, but we, we serve and we get out and we, we become change agents for the glory of Christ. Get connected, discover purpose, get plugged in, join a team. If you want to serve team, serve. There's multiple ways, multiple ways in our church for you to, to be a part of this ministry. And as we do, we become instruments of God's work in each other's lives, and God uses us to impact our community. Believe that. We can be an agent that God uses to transform Mont Bellevue, this whole area, and I believe the world. Faith in motion, it rejoices in testing. We rejoice because God is doing a work. But secondly, I want you to see that a faith in motion prays in testing. It prays in testing. Look at verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and will be given him. Let him ask in faith. With, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, here James, he understands that it's difficult at times to see God's hand in the middle of the storm. When the storm winds are blowing, I mean, it's just... It, uh, it's just it's just you see the, the winds, you see the damage, you see what's going on out here, and you don't see the God's in the middle of it. You know, we might even embrace the truth that God is at work in us, but, but it seems as if the storm is just going to blow the ship into the rocks. But these verses, what they do, they give us an anchor. If any of you lacks wisdom, See, in the storm, in the difficulties of life, that's when I really realize, man, I need some wisdom here. When I'm facing something that seems overwhelming, man, I need, I need some help here. I need wisdom. And Paul's saying, pray. Ask, ask the Lord, and he's going to give it. Ask in faith. You know, and when the trials come, we need more than just understanding. We need more than knowledge. What we need is the, that a uniting of both knowledge and understanding fused in the wisdom of God. He's got all the answers. He knows where, where this storm is taking us. And if we know that God is perfecting us in the trial... I want to be wise. I want to be wise in how I respond and how I act, how I, how I speak. Friends, when you're facing trials, it's, I mean, it is natural to have questions. Just like Tim at the beginning, that's the story. He, the questions are all around. Why? Why? And sometimes we just don't have the right, we don't have the answer. We don't have the right questions. Ever been there? Like, man, I, I, what is this? I, mean, I don't even know what to ask. Those of you who have been through struggles, health struggles, difficulties in relationships, it's just hard. Man, well, I don't even know where I am right sometimes. Friends, we don't want to be like a wave tossed around by the wind. We, we don't want to be like a ship being driven into the rocks by the storm. 
Friends, we, again, we need an anchor. We need an anchor. And that anchor is prayer, James says. And it's not a selfish prayer. My heart was like, all right, God, oh, please take this storm away. Take this suffering away. Take the trial away. But when we're asking, he says, don't, don't ask for, don't necessarily ask, ask for God's wisdom. Ask for, for wisdom so that you can put him on display, so that you can endure. We face the trials with a wisdom that produces courageous living. What happens is God is, God is glorified. I've, I've watched people go through suffering, and I've, I've seen them just pray and seek the Lord, and God just give them that peace and wisdom. And I mean, God is, God's, and it's like, wow. You, you, you know people like that? You've seen that? And you're like, man, God's, wow, what a big God that person is serving. I need to, I want to know more about that God. Joy and trials, it's much more about him than it is about us. A big God, a big God makes trials seem small. Let me say that again. A big God makes trials and suffering seem small. And this is the kind of wisdom that you and I need. So I think here again, when when we share and we're, we're, we're opening up with others, this is why praying for one another is so huge. He says, pray. Let that be a part of your prayer. When somebody says, boy, I'm, I've got this issue, is, situation at work, or, man, I'm struggling with this thing at school. And like, well, hey, can, let, me, let me just pray. We say, let me just pray. That's an oxymoron. No, let me, let me pray. And you ask God, give wisdom into this situation. And help, help, help this person, help my friend find a faith in motion that puts Jesus on display. Faith in motion, it rejoices in testing, it prays in testing, and third, it, it also boasts, it boasts in testing. Look at verse 9. Here James says, let the lowly brother and sister boast in exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Now this is not, James isn't coming down hard on those who have means. He's not talking about putting down the, you know, if you're rich, you're not going to make it to heaven. That is not what this passage is about. He's presenting here really a, a couple of biblical paradoxes paradoxes like we've we've seen these in other parts of the bible the first will be last you know those who if you want to be you know our strength is found in in weakness whoever whoever wishes to be first will be last i mean all of those kinds of, if you if you know, if you want to find your life you've got to lose it those kinds of paradoxes here james begins by saying that the lowly person should boast in his exaltation or more Literally, he's saying the, the lowly person should boast in his height. The low person should boast in his height. James is speaking, again, he's talking to these Jewish Christians who have, many of them have lost everything. They find themselves in poverty, 
um, pushed away by their own family. They, Jewish family, they come to faith and they, you're like, you're dead to me. They've lost everything. He's reminding them that though, though they have no earthly wealth, though they've lost everything in Christ, they have everything. The next chapter, James, he puts a little bit more flesh on this paradox. In James 2, 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who, he, who love him? I mean, he's saying, hey, those who are in Christ have become heirs they, they will inherit the kingdom of God. Everything that God has is now given to, to those who are in Christ. All that belongs to God has been promised to you and me. That's a massive promise. Our loss and our trials, our brokenness. Friends, we are still, we've been made rich. If we lose everything, we had a, we had a friend back in Arkansas it was um, Good Friday, and we're, I'm getting ready to go up to the service, and I get this phone call. Hey, his house is on fire. And so we go out to the house, and it's too late. I mean, everything that they owned was gone right there in a moment. We're standing out there, and we're just watching the flames. There was uh, the, um, the fire department. They were, they were out a ways. They weren't in a, in a neighborhood, and there was no fear of it spreading. And the fire, they, they had just left. They said, there's nothing more we can do. It's just got to burn. It's just got to burn up. And they watched it all go. Then they gathered around and they started singing hymns to God, recounting the blessings. Even though they had lost all their, most of their material possessions, they knew that they were rich because they had him. James speaks to those as well who have earthly possessions that hasn't been taken from, those who still have means, those who are wealthy. They are to boast in their humiliation. That's the second paradox. The rich are to, those who, who are, have been lifted high, they are to boast in their lowliness. Context here is about, really, again, it's about trials. And what do riches and trials do. They, they, they put us on equal ground. Trials, they, they, I mean, uh, they'll, they'll hit the, the person with means and bring him to the same place that those without means are. Again, like our friends, the flower fades. You can, it's all here for a moment and then it's gone. Talk to the rich man who's losing his young son in a battle with cancer. Talk to the rich woman who's struggling with memories of an abusive childhood. Trials remind us of the fleeting nature of this life. The poor have no resources in the trials and can boast in their exaltation that they, they have and they possess all that Christ has done for them. They can boast in the finished work of Christ. The rich have unusable resources in the trials. They can only boast in the position that their dependence is upon God alone. The poor are to focus 
on the riches they have in Christ and make it their boast. The rich are to focus in the lowliness of coming to Christ in poverty and make it their boast. So how do we do that? Well, we don't make the things of the earth our priority. We see that, as we sang earlier, that, that he is enough. More than anything else, Jesus Christ is enough. He, he's our all, our all in all. He makes all of us rich. I want you to see one last point in this passage. Faith in motion rejoices in testing. It prays in testing. It boasts in testing. And lastly, a faith in motion trusts in testing. It trusts in testing. Look there in verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive, this is this promise, the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So let the one who's, who... Let the one say when he's tempted, I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. No one is to, to say that to, about God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Don't be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And of his own will be brought us, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, an offering. So this is where it really, I think just really, really gets good. We, this is where joy and hope mingle together and they enable us to trust. So if you and I remain steadfast in trials, James is saying he has a gift for us. He says when we remain steadfast, we are blessed. God allows, so God allows the trials in our lives. And these trials, they're producing something. Verse 3 says, trials come and they produce steadfastness. And then now he says, if you, if, if you remain in that steadfastness, God is blessing us. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, who endures in the trial. Then he goes on. He says, you receive a crown of life. Sometimes we think of a crown and it's got gold and jewels and we, we wear it or you go to Burger King and they give you the little crown on there. It's like, wow, look at this. That's not what, we, what he's talking about. The people of this day, they were, when they thought of a crown, it was the laurel wreath that they would get at when they, the victor of a, of a competition, usually an athletic event. Those who remain steadfast in trial receive a crown of life, the, the laurel, life, eternal life. First John 2.25 says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And James says that this promise is made to all who believe in him and who trust 
in him. Friends, the, the, the Bible speaks a lot about, about heaven. The new believers, often in the New Testament, they're always looking up. And I tell you, when you're in a trial, when the struggle is, is, is just bearing down on you, we, it helps just to, to look up and claim the promise that no matter what the suffering, no matter how difficulty, no matter how intense the pain, that will one day disappear. It will dissolve into the, the pleasures and the perfect joy of eternal life in the presence of God. If you're a follower of Christ, you know, you know the joy of this promise. It fills us with joy in the present because we know that up there that's, it's going to be a billion times a billion more. If you're not a follower of Christ, friends, this promise, it can be yours. It's, I say it's free, but somebody else paid for it. It's free to us, but it costs somebody else dearly. You can have hope and the promise of eternal life by simply turning from sin and trusting in, in Christ as being enough. Scripture says that for the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. For the joy, he was looking off and he found joy and purpose even in the struggle in the crucifixion, knowing that God was going to accomplish something way bigger. So we can look to Christ. And for all of us, that's our hope. We turn to him. We turn from sin and we want, I, I need that. I want what he's done. This is what a cross has done for us. His, his cross there on that cross, Jesus took our sin, our guilt, our shame, took it all, took our brokenness, and he bore it upon himself. And in exchange for that, he gives us the crown of life. He won it, but he takes it off and says, here, it's for you. Take it. And if we turn from sin and we say, Lord Jesus, I need you, he gives it. The crown of life, eternal. A friend, if, you have, if you're not wearing that laurel wreath, that crown of life, why delay? None of us are promised tomorrow. Come to him today. Visit with, after the service. Myself, Ryan, we're, we're all around. We'd love to visit. Dana, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? A couple more things on this text. God allows us to be tested and to experience trials, but he's not the one who tempts us. Trials, they can bring temptation. And when we face, whether it's financial trials and we're, we are usually tempted to, to trust that God can't provide. When we face relational or health challenges, we're tempted not to trust that God is faithful. When we suffer or we're feeling you know, beaten down, we're tempted to not trust in God's character, that he's, that he's not good or that he's not just. Trials come really from the outside. Temptations come from within. They, the trials are hitting us here, but from within, I'm thinking, is God really good? Is he, can he provide? Is he faithful? Isn't that where we go? We, we start struggling. But James says, this is our fleshly desire. See, that God's not, I mean, we're, he's not the, the tempter. 
He's allowing the trials persevere. He gives us everything that we need to endure and to be steadfast in those trials. We're responsible for when we sin. It's not God. We, we have no right to, to blame God. My heart sometimes goes there. God, why are you allowing this in my life? How could you let this happen? But God, God's good, faithful. He never changes, James says. He's always been faithful and will forever be faithful. He's always been good and he will forever be good. He's always and forever gracious, merciful, righteous, just, kind, forgiving, and loving, gracious. Yes, God may have nothing to do with temptation or sin, but he has everything to do with the good and perfect gifts that he gives us. And he gives us one of the most precious gifts, his son, to which we receive the crown of life. Therefore, friends, you and I, we can trust him in the trial. Trust him in the testing. You say, man, pastor, I, that is just, it's hard. Friends, I know it is. I know it is. As a pastor, I've, well, I've had my share of them. And there's times I, I turn inward. I, I isolate. I, I start questioning the character of God. I know it. I mean, I, maybe you're not there. Um, I'm telling you, that's where I've been. I, that's where I sometimes go. And then I have to go back, no, God, no. And he reminds me, hey, I've got you. I've got you. And I've got everything you need. What, do you, what else do we turn to? What's the world going to offer us to get us through the struggles and the trials? It has nothing to offer. It's this empty mist, a fog in the morning that just fades. When the trials come, it is him. He's the one that carries us. It's his promises. And he's got every good and perfect gift to enable us to walk through that trial. Trust him began by sharing with you about Tim Henshaw and the trials that he and his father and now his daughter have had to endure. He goes on and he writes this. My process of understanding wasn't instantaneous. But as time went by, I, I was startled to discover joy. Joy in seeing my Christian brothers and sisters, a newfound joy in Sunday services and Christian music, all the hymns and contemporary songs that mention joy, their, their messages suddenly shot straight to my heart. I have been a Christian for most of my life, but I've never felt this. Maybe some of you here in this room, you've been a Christian all right now, but you don't know the joy in the midst, that deep joy found in Christ. In the, in the midst of trials. He goes on, joy is a sensation beyond happiness. It is one of the most sought after things on earth. Suddenly here it was for me in the most unexpected of places. Life is still difficulty. I still must arrange my day around pain, but I know that that is not the point of my day. It's not the point of my life. I, I don't know exactly how to communicate this to Anna, in a way, it's easy to write the words and it's difficult to walk the walk. And her walk is different from mine. At least I know there is a way. Total desolation is not our fate. 
desperation and hopelessness, our feelings of this world that need not define us. There is love now, and most unexpectedly, there is joy. Friends, your trials, your struggles, your difficulties, whether you're in it now, whether you've just come out of it, or you're getting ready to go into it, they should not define you. That's not who you are. A faith in motion, it's tested by trial. Lean into God. Lean into Him. Walk with, walk with, find somebody and walk with them in the midst of the trial. Help one another rejoice. Pray for wisdom, knowing that God will answer in His time. Boast in what God's done for you. Keep your eyes on all the things that that He's done in in saving you. And let that overshadow the trial. Trust Him. He's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And the God who gives has given generously every good and perfect gift, he will one day give us the crown of life. And we will walk into his presence with no more pain, no more struggle, no more trials. That is our ultimate hope. Christianity is not about trialless life but it's about walking in the trials with hope joy and a faith that propels us through life and into the very presence of Jesus pray with me Father we come to you now and as hard as these words are at times, God, you, James is calling us to do it. We are to rejoice, to find deep, everlasting, God-glorifying joy in the midst of our struggles and trials. When we're pressed in, when we're feeling left out, when we're depressed, when we even wonder about our next day, really don't even want to go on to our next day. God, when it doesn't seem like our marriages, our relationships, friendships, are, are worth it when it seems like our jobs are oh, just have no purpose and meaning. God, when we ourselves feel like we have no purpose and meaning, God, you allow us to walk through these to find more hope and joy and trust in you. So God, help us in that. God, help us to be a church that loves and connects well with one another, that walks with each other in the midst of the, the difficulties of life, to help one another find joy, experience joy, and know joy in trials. So, Father, we do thank you for the testing. Thank you most of all that Jesus Christ knew trial. He knew suffering for our sake. And through it, we have the crown of life. We give you praise in Jesus' name.